You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. You think I'd know it by now? There we go. And hello to you all. Welcome back to Attaboy Clarence, back from the grave. Stupendous to be with you and your pets once more. What are you talking about, you cretin? I hear you cry. Well, I had an email from Marta in Greece, which reads, Hello to Adam. Thank you for your podcast. I watch it when I walk with my dog. His name is Risto, and he looks at me in a strange way when I'm laughing at the failed monk. You have failed, monk. Please say hello to Marta and Risto in Greece. Well, hello to you, Marta and Risto in Greece. Oddly, Marta and Risto sound like two characters from the movie Greece. Marta, I sympathise with the whole strange looks from the dog thing. I actually have a dog called Suki, and she looks at me in very strange ways too. I often wonder what on earth she would say if she could talk. There's a voice that keeps on calling me. I see you're cooking bacon, if you please. Who's about dropping a little bacon on the floor so that I can eat the bacon off the floor? I would give all that I own for this to be a reality. Who's about I come over and stick my nose in the most uncomfortable place on your body, if you please? My head, your groin. Let's do this. I would give all that I own. Who's about we go outside in the pouring rain and walk for miles and 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 miles in the mud? Sweet Jesus, man, it's not a lot you ask. I would give all that I own. Just grab your hat, come travel like that's almost Please don't look at me while I do my filthy business. Just a little privacy, if you please. I would give all that I own for you to look at that tree for a few moments. R-E-S-T-E-P-C. I want to go for a walk. R-P-C-T-E-S-E. I would give all that I own. Who's about I lie by your feet so that when you get up you'll trip over me and remember that I'm alive, if you please. Hey, Stinky Sue, did you buy that deodorant stick like I told you to? I bought the fresh stick, just as you told me. Thank goodness for that, Stinky Sue. The flies were getting a little irritating in here. So what do you think of the fresh deodorant stick, then? You're absolutely right. It's neat and quick, and it goes on dry. Good, good, good. What? Dry? Hang on, let let me see that. Sue, this isn't a deodorant stick. It did make me feel cool and sweet, just as you said. Cool and sweet. Sue, you... I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to Sue. Yes, Sue, this is a chalk ice. Sue, there's about a pint of ice cream running down your leg. When you think of it, that's quite a lot. Yes, that's quite a lot. (sighs) Well, it's only been two months since I spoke to you all last, but my goodness, such a lot of things have happened. Very quick roundup. Okay, so for those of you who may not know, Attaboy Clarence and The Secret History of Hollywood now live at ACAST. And as a result, you may hear an advertisement from time to time at the beginning and or end of the shows. I do hope they're not too intrusive for you. And do let me know if one appears in the middle of the show, because if it does, I'll be giving them a bally bunch of fives right on the old box. I am spending so much time on these shows now that it seems ridiculous not to make them pay in some way. So I have agreed to have ads in order to monetize it. I do hope you don't mind. Have a Canterbury. Canterbury. Hey, how about this? It's a space Canterbury. Canterbury. 
The last part of the Hitchcock series, The Final Adventures of Alfred Hitchcock, is now available. Once again, if you're waiting for it to appear in the Attaboy Clarence podcast feed, you'll be waiting a long time. You can only get it by subscribing to The Secret History of Hollywood. And as of the 26th of October, the other specials will only be available there too. 1950s sci-fi robot Canterbury. I was interviewed by Mr. Stuart Waterman for his excellent website, an interview that you yourself can read if you want to be bored by my opinions on all things podcasting. Scroll through the show notes and seek out the link that I shall leave there for you. I had a great email from one Ben Chamberlain who says, Hello, Adam. Enjoying the podcast so much and recommended it to so many people. Thank you, Ben. Thought I should let you know that I am currently in a charming touring production of It's a Wonderful Life, staged as a radio adaptation, very much in the Lux Radio Hour vein. He then went on to offer me a ticket to a performance, an offer I have gladly accepted. I will be watching said production as they perform at Bury St. Edmunds on Wednesday the 21st of October. Very exciting stuff. So if you're in the area, why not come along and watch it with me? You can find all the details at www.wonderfultour.co.uk. Look forward to seeing you there. Incidentally, it's a real shame I couldn't go the evening afterwards because they're only performing in Canterbury. 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 How perfect would that have been? Yes, okay. Yes, 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 I'm getting on with it. For those of you who aren't yet on the mailing list, go to attaboyclarence.com and sign up, because this week I'll be sending out the details of how you can enter my Hitchcock competition. I'll be giving away some of my research materials, including Dan Euler's excellent book, Hitchcock's Notebooks, a copy of Francois Truffaut's legendary published interview, Hitchcock, and a brand new copy of Franz Waxman's original score for Rebecca on CD. So go and sign up and await my email. Lastly, I must apologise. I was asked to send a recorded birthday message to a very special lady, but due to time constraints and a very, very hectic schedule over the past couple of months, I was unable to do so. And so, to the delightful Joe Pollard, a very happy birthday for September. Let's have a rummage around in here and see what we have. I have a Canterbury for you. Canterbury. Uh, you have failed, Monk. You have failed, Monk. Oh, you can have a Gaylord, too. Gaylord. Gaylord. And Gaylord. I have a Face Punch. And a Dramoshag. Dramoshag. And a Coriolanus. Coriolanus. And a Badumts. And a Sally Gray. Sally Gray. And have a Wilhelm scream while we're at it. Happy birthday to you, Joe. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you, I thank you. I'll be honest, the list of people who have been kind to this show over the past two months is very, very, very long indeed. So long, in fact, that I will refrain from ten straight minutes of reading out names. Suffice to say that if you've sent an email, written an iTunes review, liked, retweeted or commented over the past eight weeks, then I thank you most Sincerely. I always endeavour to reply to your messages through whichever forum you've used, but it's worth saying again, thank you for your continuing support of these shows. I would, however, just like to quickly mention the following people who've made donations through the website. To Mary Freer, Justin Sowers, Joanne Stanley, Thomas Jackson, Morgan Sobotka, Cynthia Hutchinson, David Brock, who donated twice. God bless you, Grindhouse Dave. Anne Patrick, Michael O'Connor, Jerry Meador, and Hazel Brownlee, you absolutely gorgeous people. Your donations have actually paid for all my research materials for the next Secret History of Hollywood episode. I ordered everything I needed, and your donations covered the cost completely, like a shroud. Anyway, I was trying to think of some way to reward not only the donators... But the rest of you, for your many kindnesses. So I thought I'd play you this wonderful song from 1931, all about a cat that is in no way rude or open to double entendres. The 
love one pet I like to pet And every evening we get set I stroke it every chance I get It's my girl's pussy Seldom plays and never purrs And I love the thoughts it stirs But I don't mind because it's hers My girl's pussy Often it goes out at night Returns at break of dawn No matter what the weather's like It's always nice and warm It's never dirty, always clean In giving thrills, never mean But it's the best I've ever seen Is my girl's pussy I love cats. Don't I, Suki? Am I a cat? We're in a supermarket where Mrs. Evans oh, <laughs> is about to compare Birdseye's new frozen breakfast drink, Awake, to the flavor of frozen orange juice. First, the orange juice. <laughs> Good heavens, Mrs. Evans. Now, awake. Tastes even better, doesn't it? It tastes the same to me. Try again. Awake has more vitamin C, B1, and A than orange juice. I think Mrs. Evans is going to wet herself in a minute. No more orange juice for Mrs. Evans, please. Oh, I'm sorry. They still taste the same. Uh, Give it one more try. Mrs. Evans, your stomach seems to be expanding. Mrs. Evans, Mrs. Evans, I, I really think you should... A new product of General Foods. So we all know that remakes have been taking place since forever. For instance, The Wizard of Oz from 1939 with Judy Garland was actually the tenth time that story had been told on film. Remakes have been there from the start. But did you realise that even in modern times, we've been seeing remakes of films from the Golden Age? Did you? Yes, of course you knew that. But just for kicks, I thought I'd tell you about three films from that period that have been updated for modern audiences. So firstly, who remembers the 1984 film Against All Odds? The film starred Jeff Bridges, Rachel Ward and James Woods and told the story of a retired football player who's recruited by a mobster to find his missing girlfriend. This was a remake of a 1947 film noir entitled Out of the Past, starring Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer and Kirk Douglas, quite simply one of the finest film noirs there ever was. They say the day you die your name is written on a cloud. Who says? They? Never heard of them. Nothing in that one but rain. Think we ought to go home? Yes. Do you want to? No. Every time I look at the sky, I think of all the places I've never been. Yes, and every time you look up, they're all the same. You've been a lot of places, haven't you? One too many. Which did you like the best? This one right here. Bet you said that to all the places. Mitchum stars as Jeff a former private investigator who was hired some years previously by Whit Sterling, a crime boss, to find his girlfriend, Kathy, who apparently shot Whit and made off with $40,000 of his money. Find her, Jeff. Bring her back. Why me? Well, I know a lot of smart guys and a few honest ones. And you're both. What happens to her? I won't touch her. Okay. Give me the stuff on her family, pictures, anything interesting. You'll get it. I'll see you. You bring it over, Joe. Come on, let's go. Oh, by the way, you mind telling me your name? Kathy Moffat. When Jeff finds her, though, he falls in love with her and determines to help her escape the clutches of Sterling. 
but things don't go exactly to plan. And after a series of double crosses, Jeff finds himself forced into hiding. Now back in the present, Jeff is doing his best to blend into a rural community, but it isn't long before death and deceit come calling for him. I know the synopsis I've given you is a little muddled, but that's only because I don't want to spoil any of the film's surprises for you. This is a shining example of 1940s noir mystery and suspense. Superbly directed by Jacques Tourneur, the horror virtuoso who made Cat People and The Leopard Man for Val Luton, and perhaps had more of a natural talent for bringing out the best in a shadowy image than any other director in Hollywood. His eye for framing is incredible, even in the blinding sunlight of earlier scenes. There's a wonderful shot at the film's beginning, actually, where a hoodlum simply crosses the road, and as he does, a car drives past him. It sounds innocuous enough, but it's a gloriously kinetic shot, and they continue throughout the movie. Quick warning, though, prolonged exposure to this film may result in your contracting lung cancer, such as the abundance of smoking on display. Robert Mitchum especially smoulders in cigarette smoke from beginning to end. He's pretty fabulous in this as the hard-bitten detective, the romantic lead, and as the honest guy trying to get on with his life. Kirk Douglas plays a grinning, psychopathic crime lord with a real glint in his eye. And Jane Greer is the epitome of the femme fatale noir trope. She is dizzyingly sexy in this film. It's easy to see why these men keep falling at her feet, dead and alive. The mystery element in the film only takes up the first half, where the pieces of Jeff's past start to assemble themselves. The second half presents this collection of snakes as they're thrown into a box and begin to attack each other. As in other noir classics such as The Big Sleep and Murder My Sweet, don't come for the story, which gets a little too twisted up in knots towards the end. Come instead for the rich dialogue, the perfect performances, the dusky mood, and for a nervous walk into some very smoky shadows. Secondly, one of the smartest thrillers of the 40s came in 1948, a complex little tale of pursuit and evasion entitled The Big Clock. This is the tale of George Stroud, a crime magazine editor who's all burned out and longs to take a vacation with his long-suffering wife. Hello? Oh, hello, darling. Huh? No bath and no oatmeal. Let me talk to him. All right, but he doesn't believe he's going. He thinks it's just like last trip and the time before and all the other trips we didn't go on. Huh? His boss, the tycoon Earl Janath, has other ideas, though, and using discreet manipulation, he sees to it that Stroud is worked to the bone. You know, this uh, Fleming story, properly followed up, should boost circulation 10%. Oh, 15. That's the spirit. I know you'll squeeze every ounce out of it. I'll give you carte blanche for the next month. I'll play it for drama and suspense, so use anybody in the audience. Wait a minute. Did you say next month? And then your vacation, all expenses paid, South America. West Virginia and tonight. You really had me going there for a minute until I began to gag over that soft soap. I'll dispense with the soap. Uh, George, you'll see this thing through with this or you're finished with Janeth publication. That's okay with me. And I'll have you uh, blacklisted all over the country. You'll never work on another magazine or on any other publication. It's still okay. I'll give you six minutes to reconsider. I don't need them. I don't need six seconds. Well, good afternoon, Miss Adams. How's that baby of yours? Fine. Splendid. Well, things finally come to a head and Stroud quits. But while drowning his sorrows, he bumps into Janeth's mistress, Pauline, and they drunkenly hit the town together. When Janeth finds out that Pauline has been out with another man, he murders her in a frenzy of rage. And desperate to fling the blame away from himself, he decides to pin the crime on the man she'd been out with. 
To help him discover the man's identity, he summons George Stroud, the sharpest investigator in the city, who finds himself in the cursed situation of trying to track himself down so that he can be accused of murder. Now let's get started. Earl told you the man's name, Jefferson Randolph, but I think it's an alias. We have a vague description of the man and the names of two night spots. Read these. Throw a staff together, many people as you want. We want action. Call on any of the other magazines for help. Set up your blackboard, your regular technique. You've got a free hand. One question. Where's all this information come from? A confidential source. We're pledged not to reveal it. His only plan of action is to subtly thwart his team's efforts at discovering that he is the man they're looking for, all while trying to find out exactly who did kill Pauline. So this was remade in 1987 as No Way Out, starring Kevin Costner, a brilliant update which features one of the great twist endings. It was a huge hit, and while it took certain liberties with the source material, it proved that the concept itself, an innocent man being framed for a murder and forced to use his skills as an investigator to track himself down, is an incredibly involving one. Ray Milland plays George Stroud here, and he's a perfect mix of suave office boss and desperate hunted man. Then you have Charles Lawton as Janeth, who plays him as an aloof, highly disturbed megalomaniac and control freak. His performance is full of eccentric menace and actually stands as one of his most peculiarly satisfying turns of the 1940s. Maureen O'Sullivan stars as Georgette Stroud, George's wife with the eerily similar name. She hadn't actually acted since 1942. She'd taken a break to raise her four children, including Mia Farrow, of course. She'd agreed to come back to the screen now as a favour to her husband, the film's director, John Farrow. Bringing up the rear, though, you have Elsa Lanchester, who, as you're probably aware starred in most of her husband Charles Lawton's films. Well, she turns up here too and absolutely steals the film as a dizzy, passive-aggressive artist who gets caught up in the manhunt. Good morning, young lady. Beat it. Is your mother at home? I said beat it. Who is it, Rosa? Someone trying to steal the milk. No, no, I was just... Yes? Uh, Miss uh, Patterson? Yes? I'm Don Klausmeyer from Artways Magazine. Yes. <laughs> Didn't you review my show in 41? I think I did. Oh, come in, Mr. Klausman. Klaus Meyer. <laughs> I've been planning to kill you for years. Drop those cherubs and I'll break both your arms straight ahead. <laughs> I won't spoil any of the film for you, but I will recommend that you track it down and treat yourself. For a start, you'll probably be surprised at how modern the film feels. It's very tense, especially in its second half. Plus, the setting of a plush office gives the movie a far more contemporary air. It's incredibly stylish. Plus, the plot is fascinating. The story beats are watertight, and the whole thing is as beautifully crafted and as elegantly constructed as, well, a big clock. <laughs> Lastly, a film that hasn't just been remade once, but seven times since it was published as a novel in 1902. The version most remembered by modern audiences came in 1985, starred Richard Pryor and John Candy, and its name is Brewster's Millions. So the version I want to tell you about isn't the first version that was made, or the second, or even the third. This is the fifth version of the film, and it comes from 1945. Just shows you how popular this story was. Dennis O'Keefe stars as Monty Brewster, a returning serviceman who arrives home penniless with plans to marry his sweetheart, Peggy, played by Helen Walker. You know, I saved I'm every one of your letters. letters out of... <laughs> I've got a bunch of souvenirs for you. Okay, okay, you take it. Well, I'm still a private secretary... Oh, I, I got a $5 raise. Oh, $5 raise? Well, that's fine. Look, I uh, I don't want to sound mercenary, but uh, when are we going to get married? Well, would, would right away be too soon? Let's do it tomorrow. Mister, you've got a date. The day after he arrives home, he's contacted by a lawyer 
who tells him that his uncle has left him the fabulous inheritance of $8 million, but he only gets it on one condition. He left me $8 million, providing that I spend a million of it by high noon of my 30th birthday? He didn't want you to become a spendthrift or a waster. Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Jones. How can anybody spend a million dollars in two months and not be a spendthrift or a waster? Was my uncle born crazy, or did it just sort of sneak up on him <laughs> in his later years? No, no, your Uncle Jim's idea was perfectly logical. You see, when he was a boy, his father made him chew a wad of tobacco. He got so sick, he never chewed or smoked again. He wants you to spend until you're sick of it. He wants you to learn to hate spending money. Oh, come now, Mr. Jones. No one can learn to hate spending money. So now, Monty must find a way to spend a million dollars in just two months, and by the end of that time, he must have nothing to show for it. What follows is a mad race to spend as much money as wastefully as possible, and it's this fantasy scenario that has obviously kept audiences enraptured with the tale since its publication over a hundred years ago. The remake saw Richard Pryor having to spend $30 million to inherit $300 million. And if it was remade today, I don't think it would be that far-fetched to assume that it would be retitled Brewster's Billions, with, you know, Will Ferrell trying to spend a billion dollars to inherit ten billion. The amounts increase with each remake, but the concept is what keeps people watching. The 1945 take is perhaps my favourite of the versions I've seen, because it's not only set in that fabled time when to be a millionaire was a fairy tale, but it's full to bursting with some incredible talent. Helen Walker, who I mentioned before when I told you about Lucky Jordan, just beautiful. Then you have Misha Auer, the crazy Russian playing himself. You have Gail Patrick, you have June Havoc, you have Neil Hamilton, who would go on, of course, to play Commissioner Gordon in the 60s Batman shows. And then you have Eddie Rochester Anderson as Jackson, the family servant, who always adds an extra 300% increase in class to any film. Such a great collection of faces and characters. Unfortunately, blinkered and extremely dull-witted officials in Memphis at the time of the film's release, banned it because it portrayed Anderson as an African-American house servant who, in their eyes, was treated too respectfully. Thank goodness we live in more enlightened times, is all I can say. Anyway, if you're a fan of the 1980s version, or even if you're completely unfamiliar with the tale, do seek out the 1945 take. It's a really sweet story with a fabulous concept. In fact, what the hell? Who wants some Brewster's Millions action right now? On March 22nd, 1945, the Old Gold Comedy Theatre, hosted by Harold Lloyd himself, aired an abridged adaptation starring Dennis O'Keefe, Helen Walker and Misha Auer in their original roles, so we'll mosey on over and take a seat for that performance right now. In Brewster's Millions, our hero, Marty Brewster, is really quite a good egg. And what has just happened to him in the office of his late uncle's lawyer shouldn't happen to a dog. Or should it? But it should happen to you, and you, and you, and well, even to me. Because Monty Brewster has just found out that his uncle... I... I've inherited eight million dollars. That's right, Mr. Brewster. Is, you did say eight million dollars. Yes, I did. Yes, well, I was a little worried there for a minute. I thought you said seven million dollars. Well, my boy, it's eight million. Net, after all taxes and deductions, your uncle was a very wealthy man. He had the knack of making money. Went to Bolivia and struck tin. Eight million dollars. Brother, that ain't tin. Eh? Why, when I walked in here a minute ago, you could have bought and sold me for a plug nickel and a used yo-yo. Now I can walk out of here Buy a small sirloin steak for cash and still have a few million left. <laughs> well, uh, not exactly, Mr. Brewster. You see, the old fool, uh, your uncle rather, made uh, a few negative conditions. Negative? Oh, Mr. Jones, don't you know you must accentuate the positive and never mess with Mr. In-Between? Um, uh, what are the conditions? Well, right now, all you get of the legacy is one million. <laughs> well, really, a man in my position doesn't bother about petty little things like that. Why, so I only... One million... <laughs> You heard me. The other seven million remain in trust for 60 days. And at noon on the 60th day, if you can prove you've spent every penny of the one million, and if you haven't a nickel or an asset to your name, I'm empowered to turn the balance over to you. Ah, oh, that's a cinch. I'll do it in 60 seconds. I'm going to give that million to charity. Oh, yes? Well, the wheel covers that, too. Not more than 5% can be given away. And here's one more proviso. 
No matrimonial entanglement. No matrimonial? Oh, but now, wait a minute. He can't do that. Oh, that's right. He didn't know. But I'm getting married Friday. No, not this Friday, you're not. You'll have to postpone your wedding. You see, if you were married, there'd be two of you to do the spending. Mm. And if I don't postpone the wedding? Oh, well, in that case, my friend, the money goes to the Pismo Beach Society for Homeless Cats. <laughs> uh, well, it was nice having eight million, even if it was only for a few minutes. I say, wait a minute, dear. Why not take a good look at these? $51,000 bills. $50,000 bills. Are they good? Any place in the world. Counselor, you've talked me into it. Give me. Uh, just a minute, just a minute. First, you must take an oath not to tell anyone under any consideration either why you're spending the money or anything about the remaining seven million. Tell no one, huh? No one. Now, here, this is the Bible. Do you so solemnly swear? I do. Give me the money. Well, all right. Congratulations, Mr. Brewster. Now, here's the first 50,000. The rest will be t deposited to your account in our bank. Uh, Mr. Jones, huh? if my girl and my two pals think I'm batty, you've got to do one thing for me. What? You've got to spend some of this money for a straitjacket with two pair of pants. Please, please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you'll only give me a chance, I'll explain everything. Yeah. Now, that's better. Now... Well, don't stand there gloating like that. Tell us. Well, it's really all very simple. My Uncle Jim died and left me a million dollars. I'm taking the money and starting a business, or the, uh, uh, a Brewster and Company, and making you two my best pal's partner. Yeah. You, you're making Hacky and me partners? But Natch. Oh, junior partners, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't start you out too big. Oh, no, no. Just pay you what you're worth. Say, uh, 5000 a week for the first month. 5000 Goodbye, Automat. Hello, Morgenthau. <laughs> but, Monty, you don't know what you're doing. By this morning, you didn't even have a steady job, and now you're in business paying $5,000 a week salaries. Incidentally, just what is this mysterious business? Oh, the business. Oh, yeah, well, uh, uh, Napper. Napper, you're vice president in charge of... You tell her. Me? Well... Uh, usually business has to do with, uh, supply and demand. Precisely. Supply and demand. Yeah. Now, now, we have a large supply of money, and there's always a big demand for money. <laughs> Simple, isn't it? Yeah. And now, if you two boys will go back to our boarding house and pack up all our things, I've leased the penthouse at the Weldon Towers for us. Weldon Towers? Why, that's the most expensive apartment house in New York. Nonsense, nonsense. I got a great bargain. They let me have the place for 17000 a month. 17,000 G's? So long, Morgenthau. Hello, Automat. <laughs> oh, honest, Monty, that's ridiculous. I, I understand how you feel, a first flush of wealth and all that, but you... No. Oh, dear boy, I must make a good impression if I'm to be a success. As a matter of fact, that's why I rented the uh, top two floors of the Gotham building for our offices. You rented two floors for offices and you haven't even started in business yet? That's all, brother. I'm going to take two aspirins with a bourbon chaser. Brewster and Company, good afternoon. One moment, please. Brewster and Company, I'll connect you. Brewster and Company, what's that? You want to borrow $30,000? I'll connect you with our small loans department. <laughs> Brewster and Company... Well, Mr. Brewster's not in. I'll ring his vice president in charge of private secretary. Hello, Miss Gray speaking. $23,000 for suitcases? Well, there must be some... Oh, I see. Mr. Brewster ordered them personally. Very well. Just send the bill and mark it to my attention. 23000 bucks of worth of suitcases... Hey, who does he think he is, Eleanor? <laughs> What's with that guy? Peggy, I, I, I tell you, we've got to do something with Monty. Well, why do you think I agreed to postpone our wedding for 30 days and took this job as his personal secretary? Well... Just to try to straighten him out. Oh, hecky, you know I don't give a darn about his money. I just want to bring him to his senses. Oh, sure, I know that, Peg. But look what the guy done. He bought 50,000 shares of that lumber and fuel preferred. That stock is such a dog, even the fleas pick at it. Yeah, well, he won't have a dime left in six months. Nothing. 
What's that? Oh, oh. what'd you say, Nopper? Uh, I said you won't have a dime left in six months, Monty. Six months? Yeah. Oh, good Lord, that is bad. Oh, yeah. Monty, darling, will you listen to the three of us while there's still time? No, but there isn't time. Bulba hasn't that much time. There are only 52 days left. Yeah, now, wait, Monty, will you listen to us, please? We're your friends. Oh, 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 yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Why? Well, I ran into an old friend of ours from the boarding house today. You, you remember him, Mickey Mihalovich. Oh. The impresario from the Russian art theater? Oh, no. Oh, Monty, you mean you loaned him money for that ridiculous musical show he wants to do? Loaned it to him? Certainly not. That's better. Yes, of course it's better. I went into partnership with him. <laughs> he puts up the talent, all I put up is $200,000. You mean to tell me that you give that Russian Mickey Finn 200,000 fish? <laughs> Why, it's a great opportunity. Believe me, that's one 200,000 that isn't wasted. Yeah, you're right, Monty. Hey, but look, that 23,000 you spent for suitcases, that's murder. All right, with the headaches that Mickey is going to give you, you'll have a half a million dollars worth of bags. Right under your eyes. Well, I'm going around in a bit of a circle with all these millions being bandied about, and... I will admit that it is a very perplexing problem that Monty Brewster has. But now, here's Bob Williams with his view on another very perplexing problem. Well, friends, suppose you and the missus have just finished seeing a movie, and as you get up to leave, she says, Oh, wait a minute, darling, I can't find my other shoe. Well, don't run out on the little woman. Say to yourself, Why be irritated? Light an old gold. Yes, indeed, smokers. You step into lots of comfort and pleasure when you light a fine cigarette, especially today. But listen, you get no pleasure if your cigarette is hot, harsh, and dry. And so, to help prevent cigarette dryness, old golds are conditioned with a special moisture-protecting agent we call apple honey, made from the juice of fresh apples. And in addition, Old Gold's unique blend of many great tobaccos is enriched with rare imported Latakia tobacco for delightful extra flavor. Extra flavor plus extra protection against cigarette dryness. That's Old Gold, and soon as you can, try a pack. And look, even if your wife couldn't find her shoe at all, why be irritated? Light an Old Gold. <laughs> And now back to Harold Lloyd and the second act of tonight's Old Gold Comedy Theater presentation, Brewster's Millions, starring Dennis O'Keefe, Helen Walker, and Misha Auer. All right, Mr. Lloyd. Well, as we uh, get ready for act two of tonight's Old Gold Comedy, we find Monty Brewster living proof of the old adage that a fool and his money are some party. He's had his million now for 17 days, in which time he should have spent at least... $300,000 to be on schedule. But instead, as we find him with the car. Let me see. 78000 Take away 92000 Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, read that column again, will you, Brooks? Uh, yes, sir. Net worth, $921,236.41. <laughs> $921,000. days gone. In other words, we're making money. Exactly. You certainly have a genius for making money, sir. Oh, I have, have I? Oh, yes, Mr. Brewster. Well, just for that, Brooks, you're fired. Uh, what, sir? Well, fired? You're through, done, finished. Pack up and get out. But before you leave, have the cashier draw you a check for, oh, make it for 5000 as severance pay. Oh, but, Mr. Brewster, I, I can't accept it. You'll take it and like it. But I've only worked for you for less than two weeks. Oh, less than two weeks. Oh, well, in that case, make it 10000 We try to make a good impression on strangers. <laughs> Ten... <laughs> Ten thousand? Yeah. Oh, Monty, you know I love you, but so help me, this money has changed you. You're not a bit like you used to be. Yeah, you're right. Before, I used to just love you. Now I'm so insanely mad about you that I just can't... Oh, Monty, stop. After all, this is a business office. I know, but darling, I see so little of you. And whose fault is that? Well, it's mine, I guess, but trying to run this business cuts into a man's time. Oh, I'm sure it does. You just had to give that party a 31 last night that cost $11,000, not including the tips and favors for your guests. It was $13,000. I stepped on a grape as I walked in. <laughs> Besides, the guests were important people. That's good business. Monty, you don't know good business from the man on the moon. No, I don't, don't I? No, you don't. 
Why, it's all over town that O'Connor and Ginsburg stuck you with that 50,000 shares of lumber and fuel preferred. It's dropped seven points since you bought it. Oh, darling, why don't you sell it out now? Take your loss and save something out of the wreck. Are you serious, Peggy? It's dropped seven points? Maybe more since this morning. Oh, great, fine. Yes, Mr. Brewster? Uh, get me O'Connor with O'Connors and Ginsburg just as fast as you can. Yes, Mr. Brewster. Oh, Monty, now you're being smart. Oh, you can say that again. Hello, Brewster. Oh, it's you, O'Connor. Who else? <laughs> Is it true that lumber and fuel has dropped seven points? Well, yes, but I'll tell you the truth. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I want to give you another order. You want me I should, uh, to, to sell you your 50,000 shares? Sell? Sell them? Heck no. I want you to buy me 100,000 more. There you are, Peggy. Monty Brewster, of all the... Well, that is definitely the last straw. Oh, Peggy, Peggy, darling, if you'll only play along with me just a little longer, you'll see. I'll be able to explain everything soon and... Uh, oh, wait a minute. Will you, Peggy, till I answer this phone? Hello. Brewster talking. Hello, Brewster. This is O'Connor again. Say, you want to hear something? Oh, don't tell me, O'Connor. Don't tell me. Let me guess. The market went to pieces and I've lost everything. Absolutely backwards. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Diminish your 100,000 share order hit the floor of the exchange. It stopped the selling in lumber and fuel. And listening to this, Brusting, the stock's climbing like a P-33. And you know something? You made a $100,000 profit. Why, you're a typhoon. <laughs> and besides this, you're a financial lizard. Oh, oh 100,000 profit. O'Connor... O'Connor, sell me out, please. Huh? I can't afford this. Monty, the stock went up. You made a hundred thousand? Yes, yes. Oh, this is terrible, terrible. Terrible? Monty, it's wonderful. Oh, hello. Now what? Mr. Mikhailovich is here to see you, Mr. Brewster. Oh, Mickey Mikhailovich. Good old Mickey. Send him right in. Monty, look, you've already given him two hundred thousand and then another seventy thousand. He's coming now for more money. That's good old Mickey. Oh, Monty, you've got to turn him down. That show of his doesn't stand a chance. If you give him another nickel, I... Well, I'll never talk to you again. Uh -uh -uh. Who just made a hundred thousand not taking your advice in the stock market? Well, that's all well and good, but that was the stock market, not a musical comedy. Well, there's no difference between the stock market and a musical show. In the stock market, you have plenty of bulls and bears, and in a show, they bear plenty, and that's no bull. Monty, Samarish. It is Mickey Mihailovich, formerly of the Minsk and Pinsk Little Art Theater. Now the genius of Broadway. You're not kidding when you call it Little Art Theater. Your show has about as little art as anything that's hit the country since Snood's. Miss Gray, my little blintz. I have troubles enough. Troubles, Mickey? What happened in Philadelphia? Didn't the show go over? Over their heads, maybe. Hmm. What do they know about art in Philadelphia? So, unfortunately, we had to close the show. You closed the show? Well, I like that. Who told you to close it? Well, we didn't exactly close, Monty. We just ran out of customers. In fact, in the last two performances... It was the seats that walked out. <laughs> out of 270,000, doesn't Mr. Brewster have anything left? Certainly. The best part of the show is still left. Well, that's better. What part is that? Me in person. <laughs> oh, Monty, this is awful. Now you've lost three times what you just made in the stock market. Oh, you've been making more rubles in the stock market. Hmm, good, good, my brilliant friend. Now that I know what is wrong with the little show, we can fix it up and open again. Mickey, that's a wonderful idea. Monty, if you dare... Miss Gray, you are being blinded by Jalousy. <laughs> Don't you realize that Mr. Brewster is just crummy with foresight? Mickey, Mickey, how much would it take to revamp the show? New songs, new material, new costumes, and put it on right here in New York. Well, maybe for you and all admirer of mine, I could do it for maybe... Mm, 30,000. 30,000? We'll make it 20,000. That's utterly ridiculous. Well, 15,000. No, of course not. Do you think that Monty Brewster can afford to have his name attached to a cheap production? Monty, can't you see? Yes, yes, I see. I see everything now. I see a whole new show. Brilliant, gorgeous, colorful. And the cost, well, it costs about, uh, let me see, 150,000. $300,000. Did you say 300,000? Yes. Do you think you can do it on that? Well, I don't like to pinch pennies. 
Ah, it will be colossal. It will be sensational of the Broadway. Oh, wait a minute, Tavarish. To be on Broadway, you must have a theater. Theaters they have, but empty ones, they ain't got. Something to be thankful for. Oh, you think they can stop me? Once Monty Brewster has made up his mind, poof, it's done. We'll build our own theater. How long would that take? Well, I guess we could build the Mickey Mihailovich Temple of Art and Entertainment in, um, well, maybe six months. Six months? Oh, no, no. Cancel the theater. Cancel it. We'll do something else. Uh, where else do they give shows? Well, let me see now. I once gave a show in a barn. But that won't do, Monty. It smells so bad. I'll say it smells. Well, then there was the time I took a showboat down the Volga. With Olga. <laughs> showboat. Showboat, that's it. How much would a showboat cost? Oh, maybe we could get one a showboat for 5000 a month. Oh, too cheap. No class, no class at all. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got to get an idea. I've got it. I know what we'll do. We'll rent a steamship, a luxury liner. Something for around, say, 20000 a week. Then we'll cruise down the coast, stopping at every port between here and, and Trinidad. Oh, Monty, you're out of your mind. Please, can't we talk about this? Don't listen to her, boss. You have the greatest idea that head show business is 600 years. Yes, I know that. And something else, Mickey. Yes, Abash. We can't expect the cast to leave their homes just on regular salary. Now, for the tour, all expenses are paid and everybody gets time and a half. And I get double. And my laundry, too. <laughs> yes, and if it doesn't cost me triple 17000 a day, I'm going to be the only ex-millionaire in New York buried in Potter's Field. Now here's Bob Williams with a very important announcement of special interest to all smokers. As we've done before due to wartime restriction, the cellophane wrapper on old gold packages will be removed for the warm months ahead. Cellophane is most effective during the winter months when artificial indoor heat tends to dry out tobacco. But during this summer, and for the first time since the beginning of the war, old golds will again have the special protection of aluminum foil, which was released in limited quantity for packaging. So, Old Gold's unique blend of many tobaccos, including its touch of rare imported Latakia tobacco, will still be doubly protected. Protected by aluminum foil and protected by apple honey, which helps guard Old Gold's against cigarette dryness. Yes, the grand fragrant aroma and swell taste of Old Gold will still be well protected to give you your full quota of smoking enjoyment. And if you're not already getting old golds wrapped in aluminum foil, they'll be coming to you in their new dress real soon. Distribution is just about complete. So keep asking for old gold and enjoy a finer tasting cigarette. And now back to Harold Lloyd and Act Three of tonight's Old Gold Comedy Theater presentation, Brewster's Millions, starring Dennis O'Keefe, Helen Walker, and Misha Auer. All right, Mr. Lloyd. Well, with Monty Brewster, Mickey Mikhailovich, and 400 people in the cast, all aboard the steamship Luxuria, Monty is finally finding out that if a young man really puts his head to it, he can spend some of his uncle's hard-earned money. Of course, the fly in the ointment is Peggy. Peggy, like any right-minded girl, has washed her hands of Monty, and the hands she washed no longer wear Monty's engagement ring. Now, in Monty's luxurious stateroom, Mickey is trying his best to console him and not let him very much. But, Monty, if she loves you, she'll wait. Oh, sure, sure. I've got 11 days left, and I still have $400,000. After the steamer, the crew, and the whole cast is paid right up to the time we dock. That's bad? Of course it's bad. Isn't money the root of all evil? Such a root I'd like to cultivate. <laughs> Tell me, my chum, why is it you want to throw away all these lovely clumps of greenbacks? Well, you see, Mickey, Mickey I had a crazy uncle and... Oh, no. No, I can't tell even you. An oath is an oath. But if I had just taken that million and forgotten about the rest... Mickey! Mickey, what was that? It feels like I hit something. Monty, quick, out of this door. The whole boat is leading to one side. <laughs> Captain, Captain, what's up? We've run onto an uncharted show, Mr. Brewster. We've ripped off our propellers and rudders. Lost our propellers and rudders? Yeah. Oh, 
Good heavens, then we won't be back to New York in time to meet the lawyer. Keep trying. Keep sending. I got someone, Mr. Brewster. A Portuguese freighter about ten miles away. Well, did you ask them if they'd tow us to New York? I did, Mr. Brewster. But if they tow us according to the laws of salvage, they're entitled to half our cargo value. Salvage? What's he got to coming in here and making laws up at the top? Say, say, wait a minute. That's wonderful. Ask them how much they'll take in cash, sight unseen. Yes, sir. They say $300,000, sir. Ridiculous. Tell them they've got to accept... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me see what I've got left. Got $100,000 in cash, $309,355.24. Tell them that they've got to accept $410,355.24. Yes, sir. I guess I drive a hard bargain. Well, Mr. Jones, it's almost noon. Have you checked over the receipts? Yes, I have, Mr. Brewster. And everything seems to be in order. <laughs> Monty, what is all this? Why did you bring me here? Who is Mr. Jones, and why are you grinning when you've lost every penny of your million? Patience, patience, darling. You shall see. Well, Mr. Jones? Well, according to the terms of your uncle's will... Oh, I... excuse me, Counselor. Honey, would you answer the door, please? Certainly, Monty, but I wish somebody would explain something to me. Hey, Piggy! Piggy, is money here? Oh, boy, where'd that come? Where'd that come? Hey, money, money. Hey, I got great news for you, Hacky, Hacky, I wish you'd wait until Mr. Jones and I... No, no, I can't. I can't can't wait. I can't wait. Look what I got. (laughs) I just sold the costumes and the scenery from that silly show, and I got you back $40,000. Oh, you did? You did? (laughs) $40,000? Hacky, I could kill you. Don't hit me. Don't hit me now. Well, now, in that case, Mr. Brewster, you still have $40,000 left. And I guess I'd better be on my way to the Society for Homeless Cats. Now, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I can't wait a minute. There are only 21 seconds left until noon. Yes, yes, but they're mine. I still have those seconds left. You can't spend 40000 that fast. Well, I can try, Mr. Jones. I certainly can try. Oh, wait a minute. You are the executive of the estate. Yes. And you're entitled to a fee. Yes. And no one has paid you yet. No. And how much would the fee be? One half percent. And how much is one half percent of eight million dollars? Eight million. Quiet, darling. One half percent would be forty thousand. There you are, Jonesy. Forty thousand dollars in fees, and I'm as clean as a whistle. And there's the whistle. It's high noon. Monty, Monty, will you explain something about something to me? Oh, I'm going to explain something about everything to you, darling, if it takes the rest of my life. And all of my seven million (laughs) dollars. And that was Brewster's Millions from the Old Gold Comedy Theatre. Great stuff. So a quick reminder to sign up for the mailing list at attaboyclarence.com to enter the Hitchcock competition. And while you're at your home computing terminal, why not log on over to iTunes and leave a review for the show if you've enjoyed it? Always gratefully received. Who's about a little walk, then? Who's about a little television, then? Why isn't Rolf's Animal Hospital on anymore? It's a long story. Who's about a walk in the countryside, then? How about now? How about now? How about now? Well, I'd better be off, but I'll be back with you next week for a Halloween special. How about letting me bear children? I would give all that I own. Until then, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. And thank you for coming back. How about feeding me something other than biscuits? How about letting me sleep in your bed? How's about a little bacon? How about now? How about now? Bye for now. How about now, then? How about now? Who's about letting me marry your shoes? I would give all that I own. (laughs) 